Welcome to the Reptiles and Research podcast. In today's episode, we have Jamie from the Norwich Reptile Shed, who came on to talk about his huge 30-foot reptile room with his ginormous Royal Python enclosure. Now we get into the culture of Royal Python keeping, the challenges he faced setting up this up, the negative reaction he may have faced setting up this floor-to-ceiling Royal Python enclosure, and what's happened since doing that. We're also going to some of his other philosophies around what reptile keeping means to him, how it makes him feel, and what else he's got planned for the new YouTube channel, The Norwich Reptile Shed. If you would like to support the show, you can find us at Patreon slash Reptiles and Research. On there, you can submit your questions ahead of time for us to give to the guests to be included in the episode. Also, we are revamping the structure and the foundations around that, so there's plenty of new things that we haven't disclosed yet that are coming. So if you want to get involved in that, head on over there. But without further ado, welcome Jamie. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Jamie. This is obviously Jamie of Norwich Reptile Shed. Uh, The first thing I wanted to address obviously, is that this is a reptile shed, but you didn't always keep this way. So how long have you been keeping reptiles before you got to this ultimate climax? Um, I'd say about, firstly, hi, how you doing? <laughs> um, I'd say about 20 years, um, give or take. Uh, started keeping reptiles in my bedroom as a kid when I lived at my mum and dad's. And I just had animals off and on back then. Some animals I've had all that time, uh, well, certainly... The majority of that time um but uh yeah no and the, sh- the shed came about when uh when we moved to norwich basically i wanted i wanted to kind of really upgrade the way i, I kept my animals and and display them in a way that i really enjoyed like having a reptile house almost like having a reptile house in a zoo um so yeah that was about two years ago now we uh started well it was a, it was kind of like a lockdown project i suppose so uh is it two years or is it three? I can't remember now. I think it's two. But um, yeah, so uh, that's that's how that all started. It's a lockdown project that's obviously gone quite wild and further than you thought it was going to go, is it? Oh, definitely. I mean, there isn't any particularly new additions. And, and what I always said from the off-go of building this shed was I wasn't going to try and fill it with millions of animals. Um before we even put a brick on the ground or cut a bit of wood, I had every single enclosure kind of planned out um, to scale in terms of the size. I knew what size I could build this thing to. Um, and basically, I had a plan for every single vivarium that was going in here, rather than just building a big shed and just cramming it sort of full of full of snakes. Um, so, yeah, because I, I think I wear my heart uh, on my sleeve when it comes to uh, keeping animals. And uh, I just I wanted to give these guys a maximum space um, and just a really good enclosure rather than, you know, build something that I could just absolutely fill with animals and breed everything. And I don't know. But, yeah, that that, that was always the plan for this place anyway. Definitely. So before we go into this shed, which is obviously amazing, let's go back before you obviously you moved to Norwich. You moved, is it from Essex? Yes, Essex. Yes, yeah, happened on sea. So before you moved, you obviously had all the same animals. So let's go into how you kept them before. Mm, yeah, it, I mean, um, 
some some of the animals now are still in their vivariums that I used to have. Uh, back then, I thought I was doing the best I could um, in terms of buying sort of five foot vivariums and, and getting stuff uh, sort of custom made back then because you couldn't really buy a five foot vivarium off the shelf. So my largest kind of colubrids all, all sort of had five foot vivariums. Uh, and then, um, yeah, my, my royals back then, um, at the time when we, Hector is quite new, actually. We only had him for about six months before we moved to Norwich. But uh, my royal before then, I always had her in a three foot tall uh, kind of really exotic uh, vivarium. And um, so I knew that she could climb, to, you know, she was spent most of her time three foot off the ground. So, uh, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was just kind of your, your, your standard vivariums uh, back then. Um, I wasn't building anything custom. It didn't even cross my mind to uh, to build anything custom until I built this place. Um, it, I just never even thought of, of, of doing it. And now I'm a, obviously a massive advocate for doing it and I, I try to help people as much as I can to, uh, build custom enclosures and uh, you know you don't have to, you don't have to do it like this in a 30 foot shed but you could have one one six by three foot of area in your house and it could be absolutely amazing so uh, that's what i'm kind of pushing towards with the uh, the youtube channel and uh, and the kind of advice that i give so you are keeping raw pythons with three foot of height yes so you yeah. were already keeping in and a lot of people would agree with this with height more than what most people give. And then you thought, you know what, this isn't good enough. I'm going to do more than this. hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we had those, um, those big exotic kind of tall ones, the biggest ones you could, the tallest ones you could get. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had it all set up, with, uh, you know, all the, all the basket spots with the top and I had big, big logs and stuff like that. And it was easier to control the heat in there. So I didn't have to put a floor level, kind of basket area as well because it was only three foot in a reptile shed so uh in a reptile room back then so it was hot all the time um and yeah so i was confident i, I knew going going into this uh with the, with the royal build that uh they would they would be up there i didn't know how much uh, i couldn't guarantee that they'd be up there all the time and i didn't honestly think that they'd be six foot off the ground um and at one point one of them actually getting out of the bed that is in the top, I've got a vent that's right in the top that I put my cables through, um, and he managed to kind of get out of that vent. So uh, I wasn't expecting that. That was uh, that was a surprise, but but definitely I knew I knew they'd be in the trees, and that, that actually all came back um, from being a kid in where was I? London Zoo. I don't know what year it was, but um, I was really young at the time, and one of the one of the enclosures that kind of stuck out to me. I think I've got a photo of it still. I'll try and I'll try and get it over to you. Um, it was a royal python vivarium, and I know they don't have that anymore. But they had a royal python, a python. They had a royal python uh, exhibit that had quite a lot of cro crossing branches in there, and that there was two royal pythons curled up like a tree boa or a tree python sitting in the trees, and they were like four foot off the ground, and that just stayed in my head. Um, so I knew the minute. I had the opportunity to do that with Royal Pipe and I'm gonna I'm gonna go and do it and uh, try and relive those um, years of uh, remembering that kind of stuff. You know, being absolutely fascinated by that when I walked in there as a kid. So obviously that really drove you to uh, try and to, to replicate that for yourself. How did other people react to 
to this project when you told them that this is what you're inspired to do? Oh, I got shot down all the time. Um, I didn't actually. So I, I started the film building this um, well before I started my YouTube channel. And I hated it, didn't like the footage. I thought it was, it was rubbish and I didn't keep it. But um, I used to put up a lot of progress photos, uh, some definitely on uh, advancing husbandry uh, page on, on Facebook, and people would shoot that down. Um, I had to, even now, when I have, when I put a photo up, um, there's all, I almost have to comment at least once, you know, saying there's multiple basking spots, there's multiple hiding spots, there's ground floor basking spots. It is the same as having a five by two foot vivarium in terms of heat, but I've added another four foot on top of that with more heat. So, uh, yeah, you have to cover all those bases and there's definitely people out there uh, that are willing to argue it to the death that I was uh, I was a bad keeper and uh, I was doing it all wrong. <laughs> Interestingly, you've got a similar setup to what Dublin Zoo has and they've got two male raw pythons in that. So how does it make you f- obviously feel when all these people obviously say these things to you when you can see it with your own eyes what your own animals are doing? Um... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, um, I've got so many. The reason why I kept it, I, I, I basically kept it quiet for nine months. I know we spoke about it, um, but I kept it quiet for nine months. So I had the uh, the backup in terms of saying this isn't. I haven't just done this a week ago. I haven't just thrown them in uh, and took a, taken a load of photographs and gone. Oh, everything's great. I've got nine months of evidence um, to say. There hasn't been a single problem. So uh, I don't tend to worry about the people that say it won't work. Um, I'd say I've, sort of over the last sort of few months, especially now that I can say that they've been in there for nine months, people tend to not argue it so bad. You still get the odd comment, but it, it's not as uh, it's not mainly aimed at me. It's more people now saying, oh, my snake wouldn't do any good in there. Uh, he's clumsy. He's this, he's that. And I'm like, so so are mine. They're clumsy. Um, you know, there's <laughs> probably much. There's not much difference between your royal pipe and my royal pipe. And if you put him in there, he will still climb and completely show you up. <laughs> That's, yeah. I think. Oh, I was going to say. I think a lot of people say that they're clumsy, but actually, they don't give them the opportunity to build that muscle to be climbing. It's like, why can't you tightrope walk and that other people can? It's because you haven't practiced doing it yet. Yep, that's it. And then I can only think of the people that have got clumsy or what they think is a clumsy snake. It's possibly a royal python that's sort of climbing. It's got a two foot sort of height and it's climbing to a branch that is just sort of lent against the side of a vivarium. Um, and then the branch falls over. They wonder why, you know, these snakes are falling over. But, you know, everything in there, because it's, five foot in the air, uh, you know, some of those main branches are five foot in the air, They're, everything is screwed in, everything is attached in a way that it's not coming loose. Um, so uh, it, I, I do think it, it's part of that as well. You, you, an animal feels more secure in the, in the trees or in the branches, as, you know, as long as they don't move as much. If they're falling around, then the snake's going to fall over and it's going to look clumsy. I think you're a perfect example of someone who obviously is just leading by example. We've tried, I, I personally have tried, um, perhaps not Ellie, Ellie's joined later on. I tried to, you know, 
used science to convince and show and show that, that this was not the best way, but this was. And um, I quickly found that you get people to just dig their heels in. And I think the best way now is just to lead by examples and, and then try and inspire them to want to change rather than tell them why they should. And I think you're a perfect example of someone who's just gone out and done something to such an extreme that there is no other option but to be inspired by it. Yeah, um, and that's it really. I don't, I don't particularly uh, care too much about uh, sort of following the, the normal sort of way of doing things. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it all myself. I'm trying to build kind of like zoo quality enclosures, um, and I know they go. You know, in, in the back of my mind, I know that they're going to go down well with good keepers. So, uh, so yeah, it isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's basically what I'm doing is um, is kind of leading by example, <laughs> just by filming the way I'm. You know, I'm just building stuff and filming it, and uh, that's how it comes. That's how it comes across, really. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic, especially when obviously my past experiences is trying to use studies and data to really show what's happening in the world. And that may not necessarily come across as just looking at a number compared to actually seeing it happen in front of you in video form. So I think what you've done has gone the opposite way and just shown it, which I think is a massive, massive advocate for giving these animals a respect that I think all three of us uh, think that they uh, deserve. So how much did it cost you to actually build something this grand? Uh, the shit itself uh, was a few years ago, it was it cost me about £5,000. Uh, my wife would argue that it was a few, a few more thousand than that, but I can't remember the exact uh, figures. But now I don't think you'd have much change out of £10,000. Um, luckily, at the time we, we moved up here, we had a bit of equity and, and things like that from just moving and buying and selling the house. But uh, but yeah, it cost, it cost about five thousand just for the just for the shell. Um, and I kind of wish back then I did pull my finger out and build as many of these enclosures as possible because, like I've done in a previous video, I, I added it all up, building a, a six foot you know my six foot stacks that I'm I'm building, um, and I built four of the six. Um, and now the, the price has gone up by like almost double. Um, wood is just crazy, but uh, but I've got to do it. <laughs> so uh, it now looks really awkward that I've got like a, a, a gap missing between the two. So uh, so yeah, it's got to be done. Um, but yeah, the, the, the price of this stuff has just gone through the roof. Um, but uh, yeah, one one thing that I did kind of push for in the in the in the video about building the shed it's a really old video it's it's probably a bit rubbish compared to i didn't really know what i was i hadn't found my feet back then i wasn't really uh i was doing a lot of weird videos when i first started and, and trying to find my i suppose style which is just holding the camera and cutting wood now but um um but yeah the the whole sort of uh the thing that i was trying to portray is is don't sort of um, cheap out with insulation um, especially for us in the UK um, it's it's it, like you know you, the cheaper the insulation is especially now it's just going to cost more and more to try and keep these to keep these rooms going and you, you want a good ambient temperature in here um, for your bibs to then you know to, to build upon that with your your basking spots and stuff and if you're constantly fighting that you're just burning burning money um so definitely 
definitely helps to spend as much as you can on insulating it. And this this room, this shed is, is more. That, I say it's a shed. I built it to actual uh, to code uh, to building rakes. It's it's a garden building, um, and it's better the insulated than my my house that I live in. Definitely, it holds the heat better. I'd live out here better. <laughs> I love how you're calling it shed. Most keepers would call it facility. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to think of what to call it, and it, yeah, it, it's it's not a shed, <laughs> but uh, but shed comes off a bit more uh, a bit more I don't know cooler, I suppose, um, a little bit more down to earth, which is why which is you know what I am. I'm not uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a facility, um, and then reptile garden room doesn't sound as good. Doesn't have a ring to it, does it? So if someone were to obviously look at that raw Python setup and go, I want that, what dimensions is that setup? Uh, the setup is, so it's five foot um, across um, from left to right, and then it's six foot tall, and it's kind of like a wedge shape. So um, I always planned on having that in the back of the shed, um, and it, I didn't want it to kind of be in an awkward position where it's stuck out and, and blocked off that corner. So... Um, on the looking at it on the left hand side it's three foot deep and on the right hand side it's two foot deep so it kind of makes like a, a kind of wedge and it feels a little bit more uh, uh, sort of user friendly being at the back it doesn't feel like it's you haven't got to sort of look at it to one side it kind of fills the room um, and helps me get to the to the other bibs that are behind it which are the other two six foot as well so so yeah it's a bit of a monster definitely so what kind of individual cost do you think that that would have costed, that individual Royal Python setup? Um, I would say you could probably build that now for about, if you weren't going to do all the rock work, because insulation to do the rock work is very expensive, but the, 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 the timber and everything alone, uh, probably about three maybe maybe three to four hundred pound i would say for a setup that's what five foot two foot six foot that is not a bad price no and that's that's something that i do try to um um try to come across with the videos is is if you diy stuff um if you're not afraid to screw bits of wood together and cut bits or go to b and q and get stuff cut it does work out cheaper the the six foot variance here. I think in my last one of my last videos where I added it all up, um, I know it's uh, seven sheets of plywood, which is is now quite expensive. But for those seven sheets of plywood, I get two six six by three variums plus enough spare to build um, some four by twos. So, and it, I think it a lot when we added it up, it was about five hundred pound, which for three or four variums is is cheaper it's cheaper than getting something built custom especially a six by three just to offer a comparison obviously i work in a reptile shop and obviously i know our prices a four by two by two with us is 250 pounds there you go yeah yeah i think uh in the in the four by two by two one that i built the video that i built for, um, made that covers the build for that it's one sheet of plywood so the wood alone there was 40 pounds um and then i think what was it 50 pounds worth of glass and for that you've got a, a solid bavarian that isn't going anywhere you know so uh 
it is that, and that, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to. I, I feel like I've I've now shown multiple times now how to do this yourself. Um, and it's not, you know, I'm not a carpenter. Uh, I am an engineer, but that doesn't help me with wood. I'm really rubbish with wood. That's why it's the the, the look that I go for in here is kind of shabby chic, I suppose, because I'm not very good. At, I'm not a craftsman. I'm not a uh, um, yeah, it just it just works, and, and and luckily enough, it kind of suits the, the jungly theme of you know having a having a reptile shed. But um, it certainly isn't a polished look, but it's completely DIY, and it's not going anywhere. It's gonna you know these variants are gonna last forever. Um, certainly a lot longer than melamine, anyway. Um, and yeah, and it's completely customizable and and cheaper in the long run. I think it is a bit it is cheaper. I mean, I don't particularly care myself if I had the. I think just having a six by whatever it is tall Royal Python setup, I would not care what the outside of it looked like. <laughs> no, it, it's not too bad actually. Most of it's hidden, so uh, yeah, you can't see too much of it. The, obviously, the biggest part of it is the glass, um, and then it, it does sit on top of a, a kind of plinth that's got more glass in it as well so uh it is a cool one it is definitely a cool one and i've obviously got the the, the tortoise in front of that as well which i think adds a as a as a completely different dimension to it like you know standing in the tortoise run to work on the royal pipe and be feels like i'm working in my own little suit um especially with the little hatch for her to go out and stuff like that it's uh it's fun it makes me uh kind of fall in love with uh with reptile keeping every time i'm out here definitely so that was that was actually leading in perfectly to what I was going to ask. How do you feel when you look at those raw pythons in that setup compared to what you heard of them previously? Do you enjoy it more? Does it do anything more for you? How does how has that influenced how you feel about your hobby? Yeah, it, it, I'm so much happier about it, um, and it, it's the same with all of these the, the bigger enclosures because I'm, I've had all these animals in smaller herbariums back before I built this place. Um, you do have to sort of remind yourself, you know. Uh, well, I do remind myself how how cool it is to see an animal like that, and and it happens every time I'm out here. Um, especially with the Royal Python Vivarium, there's so much going on inside there as well. Because obviously I've got the the olive millipedes in there as well. Um, so there's just constantly something happening in there. Um, and right now I'm I think I've kind of nailed the plant species. It's taken like a year to get the plants right um and i think i've nailed it so now it's kind of like the exciting time of watching the plants grow uh, hopefully they don't get too demolished but um but yeah definitely it, it, yeah it's 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 amazing um i probably didn't give my royal python nowhere near as much attention back when she was living in a, a standard size herbarium as to now um definitely I'm, I'm monitoring them more looking at them more just kind of yeah, just like being around it, definitely. So, if you were to compare the two, the feeling you get from having this this grand setup compared to if you could have uh, more animals the same amount of space, do you? Is there a part of you that feels like, oh, I could have more species? I'm bored of the species I've got. I could like do more of the space, or are you just happy with that amount of space for that animal? I am. Yeah, I'm completely happy with the amount of space. Uh... With, with the amount of animals that I've got and the spaces that I've got, um, definitely, yeah, 100%. Um, I never kind of look in here and go, oh, I should get something else. Um, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I'd say more of a unique reptile keeper in that sense that 
I've, I've kind of, I've, I've kind of got what I've got, and I'm and I'm done. Um, purely, well, it, obviously the cost of, of living it makes a big impact on that now. Um, you know, I couldn't imagine plugging more equipment in um, and trying to afford it. But uh, but yeah, I'm 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 happy. I'm I'm really happy with uh, with what I've got now, and I, I never stand in here and go, oh, we should get some more, or we should make that smaller and add more, because that's just not. That's just not the uh, the vibe that's in this shed. That, that was never the intention. So I feel a lot of people don't realise that that could be there for them. Like we talk about what Dylan Parent from Animals at Home says, where we both say about how it scratches an itch. We all have this itch as keepers, well, maybe not yourself, but we all have this itch as keepers to get more, do more, and we want to experience more. But I feel like advancing your care and going up and beyond for your animals it also scratches that itch and i feel like there's a whole section of the hobby that may have not experienced that and uh it's a whole other hobby for them if they just let themselves fall into it i think that definitely is a thing um for me i you know i've, I've got um a, a, a smaller northern pine snake and i've got my male horse water cobra back there that are in the, the original five by two five foot by two foot vivariums that um, I used to have when I lived in Essex, and uh, I, I look at them. I could fit more up there. Like there's space for three more snakes there if I kept them like that. Um, but my brain doesn't go there. My brain goes to I can't wait to put them in the six by three that is going to go in that space that I've that I've allowed for it. So uh, I've definitely had that itch uh, or that scratch. Um, for getting more animals um, and that's probably why I'm here now you know there is um, uh, what is that 14 snakes um, 14 snakes in here and we've got some more stuff so it's not a it's not a particularly tiny you know collection of, of animals um, but I feel like uh, I've sort of got to the stage now where my it's more important for me to make sure the animals that I've got um, is just the care for them is the best that it can be rather than uh, sort of putting that to one side and adding another animal um, and I do I do talk to people all the time um, that, that I kind of it, I try not to say it to them because it, 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 but it is a frustrating thing where you know we're talking we're talking about the animal that they've currently got and how they want to improve that and then straight after that telling me that they want to you know, they want to buy this, they're going to buy that, and can they get this, and can they do that? And I'm like, dude, concentrate on the animal that you've got currently. Um, make make that as good as you can. And, and in my opinion, that, that's more important than worrying about buying a new animal and worrying about what that new animal needs. Um, yeah, that's that's the, way I've, that's the way I've done it. But it is easier for me because, you know, I've got a, a fairly weird, not weird, but... You know, I've got quite a cool collection of snakes already. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's that's my attitude towards it anyway. It's almost as if people will read the first few chapters of a book and then they move on to the next book. And you're almost saying, to, well, hang on a minute, you haven't read the first book yet, you haven't finished it yet. Here's the thing that I always say to Dylan, I had this conversation recently, actually. I always said to him, what is the measure of a good keeper? I said, is it a keeper that knows all the signs knows everything has gone down the rabbit hole and has that in their brain has the ability to when they get the chance to go out there and do it they're going to do something amazing but they're actually in a position where maybe they can't have the space 
Or is there a keeper that maybe doesn't know a lot of things, but has the space to do things and goes out and does it? I said this to him, which one do you, would you say, just looking at it, is the better keeper? Because it's like, well, technically, the one that knows it all might be a better keeper, but the other one's actually gone, done it, and has got better care for his animals. So is he the better keeper? But you, I reckon, you've gone both ways. So when you look around that room, do you look look at it and go, I feel like a good keeper? Yeah, I suppose I, I do. I do look at it and go, you know, you guys, <laughs> the snakes in here, I sort of am a bit like... Uh, you know, you're you're some of the lucky ones, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I am trying, um, definitely trying my hardest. Um, and most most of the animals in here have got um, kind of at least a higher level of care um, than than some people offer. Uh, and for me, it's only going up and up and up. I'm not saying I know how to you know do everything or anything like that at all. But um, but yeah, that's yeah, that's that's how. Uh, yeah, I, I I do feel like uh, I do sort of look at some of the enclosures and be like, dude, that is cool. Um, yeah, I, and it makes it you know, it warms my heart to sort of seeing an animal in there and going, yeah, that's awesome. I don't think this is by any means exaggeration, but you look at that Royal Python setup, and if you've watched any of Jamie's videos and you've seen the behaviour expressed in those setups, those Royal Pythons in captivity probably have they're probably in the top one percent of raw pythons in the world with that level of welfare that that is a world-class setup no oh, thank you yeah and the thing is the truth is it's, it wasn't even that hard to do you know it's 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 some timber it's plywood a couple of branches that i got from the woods and that was my first ever time um building doing a, a rock background as well so just kind of gave it a go and and just jumped in feet first and want to do it so uh, yeah, and that and that's that is the, the basics of the uh, of the reptile channel of my YouTube channel is you know hopefully if you watch enough of the videos you'll know how to do that yourself because I, I really try I've managed to pick maybe a uh, a kind of a corner of that of the uh, of the reptile hobby that is the hardest to film and talk about because I'm constantly filming myself building stuff and cutting things and it takes ages to do anything but. Um, I'm trying to help people do that themselves and, and build that themselves. If someone if someone just watched the video and built a six by three foot enclosure in, you know, in, that's in their bedroom for a uh, you know a smaller species of snake that most people would maybe put in a four by two by two, then I've done my job. I'm, I'm really happy with that, and that that's kind of the basics behind the whole uh, the whole YouTube channel. Yeah, I've said it in past episodes, and you know, me and Eddie talk about it all the time as well. But I feel like we need to move away from look what I keep, but look how I keep it. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. And I, I don't watch those kind of videos, and I don't make those videos either. Um, where it's sort of like I see it a lot, especially maybe sort of coming from America, where it's like hundred plus animals. Look at this, blah blah blah. This is amazing. I've got a hundred animals, and I get people comment on my my stuff all the time saying you know can we do a, can you do a room tour can you show us this and i'm like i don't really make youtube channel i don't really make videos about you know um trying to show you that i've got loads of animals i don't want you to to, to be like that um but um but yeah that's yeah that's 
that is I'm trying to differ away from that. I'm trying to be like, right, you've got that one snake that you wanna look after, let's make a Alston Bavarian for it and you know, come come with me and we'll we'll make something cool. That's that's kind of kind of where I'm going with it, definitely. I think um it's amazing to focus on royals that you, they're not just a beginner so you don't get the royal and be like right well i can keep it in a four foot now so then i'm going to get a drink like a green tree python because that can be made into a cool setup no you can use that royal python you can keep it in that amazing setup and making a display animal out of it yeah definitely yeah and i was i was thinking about this as well um just earlier when i was thinking about doing when we were doing this interview that uh the barn Bavarian that I built, I don't know if you guys have seen the barn one, but um, I was trying to remember back to when I got that snake, Penny. She's a she's an albino black rat snake. And she was like, I think I paid £25 for her. She was the same, back then, she was the same price as a corn snake from a, from a reptile shop. I don't know what they are now. Um, I know snakes aren't £20 anymore. But um, but she was a cheap snake. And I'm like, she's living in this cool barn. That everyone's like, oh, man, you've got a, you know, that's a lovely setup. And I'm like, it's just a 25-pound snake, essentially. Um, but, yeah, you could put, you could put, you know, amazing-looking animals in there. You could put, you know, monitor lizards or, you know, like you say, a, a python, a tree python or, or some sort of boa that could live in the trees. And, uh, but, yeah, no, no, I've just got my just got the royal pythons in there and that's that that does it for me that's i'm really happy with that i'm really glad that there is someone that's showing the best possible way to keep uh royal pythons on youtube because i feel like people aren't gonna like me saying it but i feel like a lot of the better creators and the reptile niche on youtube are some of the smaller ones when I look towards people like you or I look towards Laurie Torini, I feel like that they are the top tier, but it's almost inverted. So I'm glad that there is examples of this, of this level of welfare on YouTube that people will eventually find and hopefully take massive inspiration from. Yeah, thank you, man. Um, that's That was the plan with this. It's never going to be like YouTube is my job or anything like that. So there isn't these crazy exciting videos of me getting bitten by a you know a boy girl or a tire like Taiwanese beauty snake or anything like that and it's that is I do look at my videos and just go uh, they, they're going to be a slow burner but they're kind of like kind of like a reference video like I don't feel like there's that many videos out there that kind of show you how to do every single part of a, of a build you know, from, from rock work to waterproofing. And that's that's my most popular video is waterproofing a, a wooden bavarian. Um and it, if you actually I, I looked recently actually it was my list of kind of the most popular ones from a year ago. And it is all just DIY uh how to build a tortoise run, how to waterproof the vivarium and it's all just things that try to help reptile keepers keep their animals um better or just help them build stuff for their animals uh so yeah that, and that's how that's what i'm always going to do it's just going to be slow burner videos uh, documenting kind of my life in here and uh and yeah and build, building enclosures and, and kind of showing you how i do it here's something that i always say to ellie as well about what we're trying to do on this channel but if you look at your one of your recent videos of your update on your raw python setup i think they had like four thousand views right Imagine if each one of those views was a keeper that has 20 animals. 
and you potentially you've inspired 4,000 people. Imagine how many animals you've helped just by making that video. I know, it's mad, isn't it? And I, I, I don't, someone, someone tagged me in a, uh, in a post a couple of days ago where they were watching kind of my intro music on their laptop. And I look at it and go, ah, what are people doing? Why are you watching my stuff? That's mad. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. And like that, that's, that's why I keep doing it, uh, really, is to just, uh, uh, hopefully there'll be one or two keepers in there that look at that and go, oh man, I'm going to build something like that. Wait a minute, he showed me how to do that as well. Oh, let's do that then. And it's just make it really easy to just go ahead and, you know, and smash something out that looks, looks cool and, and works better for your animal. I feel like there was, at the start of reptile keeping in the hobby, people made their own things because that's the only choice they had. And then we've kind of been like, not hoodwinked because that's really harsh, but we've been made, this is easy accessible boxes that you can put, but they cost more than if you did it yourself. Like it's crazy to me that a PVC four by two by two costs more than your amazing Royal setup. That's amazing to me. Yeah. I can't remember how much, um, like, uh, vision enclosures are and stuff, but yeah, I think I would, I could build quite a lot of six foot vivariums. Um, like, you know, the barn ones and things like that for one four-foot vision enclosure. It's just crazy. So let's go into the actual nitty-gritty of this Royal Python setup. Obviously, we can see the hype behind you, and if you're an audio listener, um, I recommend either going back and watching this or going straight to Jamie's channel. But you've obviously got a lot of height, a lot of platforms, a lot of branches. But let's talk about the floor. How deep is that substrate? Uh, the substrate is about, um, what are we going for down there? It's about 150 millimetres deep. Um, so it's got a good, it's got, you know, a fair amount of, um, of space in there. Because originally I was going to live plant the floor, the whole floor. And it didn't turn out that way. I, I moved over to using pots instead. So when the royals ultimately destroy everything, I can uh, pull it out and it was easier. It was full of a caper, uh, allocations and stuff when it first grew in there and it looked awesome and then the royals got in there and just destroyed it but um yeah uh there's yeah about 150 uh millimeters of soil in there oh, yeah so can uh, i obviously watched your video and if anyone who's listening or watching hasn't watched it go and have a look but you've actually got a big a root ball from a tree in there haven't you can they actually get under that in like a burrow system yep yep so um i made sure um, I think I mentioned it in the video that I put the substrate in kind of first. So there was a floor of substrate and then I dropped the root ball in on top of that. So I could then dig underneath it with my hand and I've, I've sort of formed a burrow underneath it already. Um, and I, the snakes have been in there, definitely. Um, the female has been in there um, sometimes for like a couple of days. And I've, I'm, I sort of look and go, oh, she might, she might, um, you know, of uh laid some eggs or something there or something but they never have but there is there is room there sorry for them to uh to get under there as well i'm pretty sure now it's just full of millipedes uh that seems to be the new uh kind of millipede den so as a percentage of time how much time do you feel they spend on the floor versus like in a, in a boreal position uh it's a very low percentage um I would say maybe about 10 or 20% of their time on the floor. Um, I very rarely see them cold up on the floor. Um, 
doing nothing. If they're on the floor, it's normally sort of in the evening and they're they're out kind of exploring and stuff, and they they tend to you know move along the floor and and do the full length of the uh, of the floor space there. But uh, it's very rare that I will open up the or, or come in and see them just curled up on the floor sitting there. Uh, doing nothing, and, it, and and it's actually the same with the lower level basking spot as well. I very rarely see them on the lower level basking spot, um, which kind of it blows my mind because they've got two, but they're identical. So they can they can sit under there, and I've tested it all. Uh, they're the same wattage lamps. They're on the same outlet, uh, everything like that, and uh, all the same distances away from you know somewhere to sit, and they they choose to to be on the higher one. Uh, or sit on a planter that's closer to the higher one rather than sit on the floor level one. So I would like to draw some comparisons to obviously the studies, because um, I think this would be a great example of how maybe the world may be different from captivity or may not. Do you see a difference between the percentage of time climbing male versus female, or are they exactly the same? I would say my male is a lot more active um, in the branches, which kind of goes hand in hand with the research um, going back, wasn't it? Um, when they, they found a lot more males in the trees. But my male, my female tends to kind of sit uh, in one spot, which is like a planter halfway up on the hot side. Um, and they, she kind of moves from one planter to the other and kind of sits sits across there. That's not saying she hasn't been up there. She has. But my male definitely spends a lot more time right up as high as he can go and sort of in the mornings, I don't know if you can see, but in the mornings I've got like a uh, quite a big uh, ledge at the top. It probably sits about five foot, maybe five and a half foot off the ground. Uh, and he's almost always on there as well. Um, so and my female isn't there as much. So definitely I've noticed that the male uh, spends a lot more time higher and climbing. That's fascinating. So you must see like all these studies and then look at your own animals and be like, yep. Yeah, they're doing that, yeah. <laughs> and then when people go, no, they don't do that, I'm like, yeah, they do. It's back there. It's happening right now. And that, that's quite cool now that now that I've told now that I've sort of told everyone on the on the YouTube channel that they're in there, even though it was the most secret ever, because it was there was always two in there and I just messed up filming it. Um but now if I'm doing something, I'm filming myself doing something and he's out in, in the last video I did it, and I sort of turn around and go, Oh look, there he is, he's out. Um and yeah, it's just yeah, always just out and about and doing something and just yeah showing showing people up showing people up so it must be a nice confirmation as well when obviously what is happening in your setup is also what is happening in the world it must make you feel like yeah i must have got this right i think so definitely um and if i haven't got it right i i do feel like uh i've given myself enough um kind of places and, and different level basking spots and stuff like that just in case it wasn't right um that if you know it wasn't going to be worse for the animal um you know if, if, if they didn't want to climb and they didn't want to be up there um they could have spent all their time on the lower basking spot which is perfectly fine um but yeah i, I kind of calculated all that in to try and try and make sure it was going to go right first time um but yeah, that, that yeah, yeah, it is quite cool thinking that uh, yeah, it, it, it has worked, um, and I, I, I sort of knew it was going to work, um, to say because I, I took all the steps to uh, to, um, to kind of help with that. But yeah, um, yeah, it is cool looking at him going, yeah, that worked. That was that was good. Just out of interest, 
do you know what they experienced before they came to you? Because when we were talking to Laurie, for example, um, snakes that have been living in racks struggle a lot more to adapt. Did you? Yeah, yeah. So my my female was uh, one of one of the first snakes I got when I got back into reptile keeping as a teenager. I kind of dropped out for a little while working full time and, and things like that. So I bought her as a hatchling from a reptile show. She was she was ten pounds, um, and uh, yeah, she. So she was always in in a vivarium, uh, kind of like a normal four by two, and then went up to the three foot high and stuff like that. But the male Hector, who's who's kind of the showstopper really in there, um, he he was actually given to us from my wife's uh, sister's boyfriend. Something like that happened, and we took him in. And he, up till then, he was kept in a three foot wide. Uh, I don't even know if it was two foot tall enclosure, and that was his wooden. Bavarium, that was it. Um, he had a heat mat in there. It was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible um, setup. And I put him in there. Uh, did I put him in there first? No, I put him in the three foot tall enclosure that I had at home first, um, and just knew from then that he can climb and he can he can do everything. So uh, I don't know. I, I, they aren't really from like a rack setup. Um, they've certainly had a branch or two in their enclosure for quite a lot of their life before coming here. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what they'd be like. Um, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to, uh, kind of maybe take uh, a royal that had been kept in a rack. Not that I want another royal, but be interesting to maybe take like an ex-breeder that had just been in a rack all its life and put it in there and see what it does. Um, I'm pretty confident it would, it would climb up there and not have a problem. It's pretty interesting. Obviously, yours obviously they came from an environment that had complexity in their past, so their brains had had the chance to develop, do things properly. I would like to see more research done on those animals that have had no complexity, no stimulation, and their brains aren't there yet. We need we need to figure out what is the best way to to transition them, and I, I think Laurie is kind of on that. But I feel like we should have some more. Uh, study related literature about it and i think that would be fantastic yeah definitely definitely but i know you know just just from having my uh, male um hector just from going from that three foot wide vivarium i don't even know if it was three foot it might have even been two but um up to having the three three foot tall one i was just blown away by you know just seeing how he could do that so uh but yeah there should be more done like that um yeah i'm not gonna offer that enclosure out uh, to to experiment but yeah it should be done definitely i'd like to play around with that it's an interesting thing with the, the culture around raw pythons where there's a lot of money involved which will there, that will always be an element as to why things don't shift but someone recently said to, to us that maybe we should separate uh the boundaries let's say like this is breeding standard, and yes, racks are allowing you to keep lots of animals in a small amount of space. They can be kept clinical. They can be good for time management in like a business sense. Um, but that is not the pet standard of keeping. The pet standard of keeping is what's best for the animal when we're going all out. So maybe our initial first step should be say, well, this is breeder standard. This is pet standard. And then maybe the breeders who are saying that this is what's best for a raw python Maybe when research comes out, um, 
and more and more evidence comes forward, maybe they don't feel so obliged to defend that position when the science isn't there. So maybe they'll say, well, this is how I'm keeping, because I'm a breeder, I'm keeping in this style. But when I'm selling to you, you should definitely go forward in this pet style and do everything you can for this snake. I feel if we get to that stage, there's less of a, it's almost like a tribalism in this hobby where it's an us versus them. I feel like if we break down that barrier and we get to that stage, then I feel like that is a a, a more happy place to be. Yeah, definitely. That, that would be good. Um, and I think it, it it also boils down to just people seeing, keep, you know, you, you type raw python into YouTube or something, you will the first thing you'll get is someone with a room full of racks and you're just going to automatically think as a new keeper, well, they're doing it like that. Why, why can't I do it like that? So, um, yeah, there, there, there should be that, definitely. Um, what we need is someone breeding raw pythons in a room full of, you know, six-foot enclosures. Um, that's what we need, don't we? And that, that will... Uh, but, yeah, um, that's the problem, I think, isn't it? They, they survive in tubs and... Um, that's the that's that's the worst thing about it. They they survive in there, so people are going to do that. I think yeah. I feel like if we we make that transition to pet standard, breeder standard, um, again, welfare is the same. Like it doesn't matter what your intentions with the animal are. The animal's welfare is the same throughout. But that's up to the people engaging in this breeding standard to justify going forward. But for now. Let's not be telling people, no, don't keep it like a pet, keep it like this, because actually we want to recognise what's best for the animal. And that's the stage I want us to be at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's difficult because I think it's something that we spoke with Chaz about, about species getting a reputation. When we first started keeping royals, we were taking them from the wild. They got a um, bad rap for being bad feeders and not doing well. They've gone into racks and the code's been cracked necessarily and they're thriving by eating and breeding and then so the bad rap has gone oh they're not problem feeders if we keep them in these tubs when we haven't made the journey properly of going while caught to not acclimatizing well um so i think that we definitely is coming out of it with a more educational view and getting rid of the reputation because when i first went to keep royals back 10 years ago <laughs> I was looking and all you see is they like cramped spaces they don't feed well you're going to have a problem feeder you should stay away from them if you can't deal with that and it put me off of keeping them when really it's not understanding that there are species that go through fast it's not being picky it's necessarily just natural biology yeah yeah definitely and that, that the whole having you know your animal's going to be stressed out if it's in a vivarium that's too big. It's just, it's just so common with, with royal pythons as well. And uh, I even had it when I was building that. People saying your your animals are going to be stressed. They're not going to eat uh, anything like that. And it's been it's been completely different. They, they they eat hanging from the from the trees in there, like hanging from the branches. They'll hang all the way down and just wrap round um, a chick as well. That, that that's another thing, isn't it? They don't eat they don't eat birds either, do they? But um, yeah, they, it's just, it, yeah, it was just full of, of people saying things like that. And it, it is, it scares, it scares new keepers, definitely, because it just sounds like, uh, I was talking to a keeper yesterday, um, in Finland about, about helping out with, uh, with a, a, a vivarium and, and kind of helping plan it out for a royal python. And she, she was so stressed 
from trying to, you know, add multiple heat maps because of all these different hot spots and, and a, a hundred watt basking spot in the middle and and all this sort of stuff and rowing about the humidity and stuff. And I, I actually row on there. It, it shouldn't be this stressful, um, you know, like, um, but but that's, you know, it's, it's people caring as well. But uh, yeah, that is, it is the problem. We, we do, it's, it's a bit, it's scary and there's a lot of, you know information out there that's conflicted well i feel like what it comes down to is when you take an animal that's known nothing but a rack and then you put it into this complex environment it does freak out and it doesn't cope because you've gone for an animal that's known nothing its entire life and its synapses are not developed it's like it's like working out if you took a skinny skinny person and then made a try to make them lift a heavy weight you'd be like well obviously they can't lift it they're skinny but no one thinks about the mental side of like, well, this brain isn't been working out. Then you put it into this complex environment and it just can't cope. So there's an element of people have done that, seeing that a royal doesn't cope in the complex environment and gone, well, royals prefer the dark space. But there's almost a cycle of we put them in this environment, we neglect their brains, so to speak, and then stress them out by changing them. And it's a self feedback loop of like, oh, the wreck is better. And that is a culture that um, is going to take a bit of time to address. And I feel like as research comes out, um, we will get there. But it's also a reason that the human element as well, we've got to realise that these aren't necessarily all evil people or anything. It's that they from themselves have seen an animal they've taken from Iraq and put it in a viv and they've gone, well, that's stressed out. And they may have done that like 10 times thinking they're doing these like systematic testing but if you, if you move out 10 animals who have known nothing into the area, you're going to get 10 animals at stress. So to that person, they've tested it. They know they're right because they've seen it with their own eyes. But it's our ability to interpret what we're seeing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And just throwing it straight in the deep end isn't, isn't going to be the right thing to do, is it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just got to, be, it's got to be done the right way and slowly. And, uh, and yeah, that, that, is, that is the problem. I feel like... Um, from what, I, from what I'm seeing in the UK, rat keeping uh, uh, is 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 possibly slowly kind of falling away. I, I don't know, but yeah, we, we, I think the, the thing is is to just just you know keep pumping out videos like this and and trying to just show people that's um, and you know just constantly trying to show people that there is a different way of doing stuff and. Uh, um, and we can go back to this. Um, or we, you know, we can we can keep animals like this, and uh, and it's potentially better. Well, it's better. Be frank. <laughs> I had a train of thought, and I just completely lost it because I thought three <laughs> things at once. I was like, "Oh, that's a good way to go." But um... I can tell you about my fight I had recently on on uh, Facebook with a uh, with a guy that was keeping a, a northern pine snake in a in a in a tub. And he called me an elitist and uh, a newbie um, for basically showing the six foot vivarium that I've got for my for my northern pine, Mr. Pine down there. With all like you know, I've set it up like the closest I could find to a kind of like a forest floor kind of setting. Um, and uh, yeah, he has sort of um, what do you have? An inch of inch of substrate, and that was it. And just kept saying substrate is the, the most important thing in the world uh it needs to be your you know all you're doing there is making a pretty bavarian I and mean, i was like it's no it's not pretty it, like it might be pretty to us but it, it's recreating a forest floor like that's how's that <laughs> i don't know yeah 
I got it, it was quite heated for a while because I was basically saying, you know, like I'm not making these enclosures pretty for me. I'm trying to recreate that little piece of wild for them so they can enjoy it and they can feel more comfortable and exhibit their natural behaviours. Um, just having a tub full of what you think is deep substrate isn't necessarily the most stimulating enclosure possible. Um, yeah, we had a bit of a we had a bit of an argument about that, and I got called I got called an elitist, which I thought was quite funny. Being as I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm an elitist. I'm just a guy that cuts wood and you know builds stuff and just you know gives a crap. <laughs> so, did you post an image somewhere, and then that's him saying you're just don't take pretty? Uh, no, he posted an image of a of, of the pine snake in the tub, saying, "Oh, this snake's missed its feed." Uh, maybe maybe next time and, and he's following. And so I replied to that with a picture of mine sitting in the in the vivarium, a really nice photo that I took, saying, "Oh, mine's never missed a feed. Maybe that's because <laughs> maybe that's because it's not living in a tub in uh, with an inch of substrate and not a single piece of you know decor or stimulation." So uh, yeah, sort of going in for it now. Every now and again, I fancy a little uh, a little rumble. Right. Okay. Fair enough. As I was going to say, like sometimes to me, I will post like my Mexican black kingsnake setup, which is obviously dark because they're hibernating at the moment. But I'll post that somewhere and be like, oh, I've moved this branch or did this. And I will have people comment and be like, you're only doing that for you. Um, but yeah, that means something to the animal. And it does. Previously, I've been getting quite frustrated and annoyed with people. But I think nowadays you've just got to realize it makes people feel shit. It makes people feel shit. And rather than address the issue and go, okay, I don't want to feel like I'm not doing the best for my animal. Um, it's sometimes easier to say, well, that's not what the animal needs. The animal only needs this. And to just kind of confirm to yourself that like, it's just for the keeper. It's just for the keeper. Like, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. And in a, in a way you have to like kind of feel for people sometimes that they obviously like, they are emotionally struggling with it. The fact that they even need to go out of their way to comment that, yeah, yeah, so, definitely, yeah, and it did, and it, you know, and it did uh, that kind of comment saying you're just doing it for yourself is, uh, you know, it, it's not nice for you to hear either as 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 that as that keeper in there because you know we're not we're not spending the sort of money on UV and full spectrum and going out of our way to make sure we've got you know a good halogen basket spot or whatever that isn't. That isn't for me. I haven't bought that stuff for me. It doesn't benefit me at all. It just, you know, it, it it's the animal. It's for the animal, and that's um, the only benefit that I'm getting from that is knowing that the animal in there is is you know having a better time. So uh, and, and and showing some natural behaviours. So uh, yeah, that does. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really really didn't. I didn't agree with that comment. That's for sure. And I didn't agree with the elitist bit either because. That's one thing that I'm really trying not to. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to show off anything in here. Um, in fact, I think I'd go the opposite way and, you know, go out of my way to to show you that it's possible and it's easier than you think. And, you know, I'll show you how to do it. Yeah, I think a, a lot of us get that that rap of the elitist comment. But again, you have to feel for the person because obviously there's something in them that gets hurt by seeing that they feel like they need to like drag that down and lessen its importance or lessen its success or along those lines but obviously i used to 
get into arguments all the time and uh it's just draining for you as well like you're not you're not going to train change their mind by like showing them up or logically turning them around and making them fall on their ass or like i used to spend ages just like completely just turning someone's argument apart and just but at the end of the day it doesn't get anywhere it doesn't help their animals it doesn't help anyone seeing that i thought the only way that potentially could help an animal there if someone sees re- readings like passively and goes oh okay like this guy's obviously made quite a long point there maybe i won't keep it in the top but at the same time i feel like the best way is to um just lead by example and just ignore it and just move on um yeah definitely everyone everyone should die because you just you need looking at your phone going oh well they are you know they replied yet what's going on but, um, yeah definitely ruined your day it's not worth it yeah you've definitely got to learn to bite your tongue and uh that's uh me it's a learning process but <laughs> Yeah, Ellie's a little better than I am. Ellie's just like, why are you even replying? (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I'm just, yeah, I'm not combative at all. Um, I don't really participate in social media groups because I get a lot of people belittling me because the fact that I am a young lady and I must not know anything. Um, I had it in a chameleon group where a new keeper was commenting and they were like, Oh, what's the bare minimum? What's the minimum requirements for? I think it was a Yemen chameleon or something. And I said, well, if it's the only one you've got, give it everything. Like, make it a really nice big display because they will use every bit of that space. And I just had people like coming at me, being like, you don't know anything. I've been keeping them for X amount of years, and I've bred them, and I've done this. And I was like, actually, I have a master's in zoology. I do know just like a little bit actually. And uh, no it's they will use every bit of space because there's not a box in the wild and they will say you won't understand you can't keep the temperature gradients I'm like yes you can yes you can try any bit of effort into it and you'll you'll figure it out yeah definitely yeah 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 because yeah, every zoo struggles with their massive enclosures to keep the temperature gradient and we're all using the same equipment as well the zoos are using the exact same equipment that we have available to us yeah that's it but we you know, I use two basking spots in there, in there instead of one. You know, like multiple basking spots inside an enclosure that might that might sort of blow some people's minds. Um, you know, uh, uh, keeping sort of at home and stuff. But you know, it can be done. There's nothing. There's nothing that the zoos are doing that we're not. They just, you know, I don't know. I think your setup is better than a lot of zoo enclosures, I have to say, and that's why I love it so much for like the inspiration and passion it can draw out of people to inspire them to want to do more so let's go into your setup a little bit more obviously we just talked about the fact that you have two basking spots are they exact the exact same temperature or do they differ slightly that exact same temperature there's a each one has got a 75 watt um halogen reptile systems lamp inside it um it's slightly dimmed for the summer so i could i can adjust it because because that the basking spots aren't on um, a thermostat they're actually just on throughout the day uh, a solid temperature because of the size of the enclosure. I, I wasn't worried about that, um, but I have them on a dimmer that I can sort of turn them down depending on you know how hot the, the reptile room gets. Um, and then the actual ambient temperature is controlled by the thermostat. So uh, that's how I've got that kind of running. But yeah, essentially they're identical. Uh, did a lot of testing with um, you know infrared guns and stuff like that, and, and just to, just to make sure, but. Pretty much everything, everything in there is identical for the for the hotspots. 
And um, you said you had a burrow. Have you measured humidity and temps down there? Yeah, so um, I've got like a Wi-Fi. When I first started it, I've got what well, I still have in there. I've got like a little Wi-Fi uh, hydrometer uh, temperature um, thing, and that back then I forgot maybe forgotten some of the some of the measurements. But it is quite humid down there. It was it was sitting around. I think it was about eighty percent in the evenings, maybe because it was all live planted. You know, there's, there's a lot of moisture in the soil. Um, and it, it, I think the worst, I thought, well, the driest that kind of area got down to was about sort of between 60 and 70 percent. And then as it obviously goes higher, I'm naturally losing some of that humidity um, and then I'm, you know, gaining a little bit more heat. So, um, but yeah, um, yeah, it was a, the, the floor space on there because of the size of the thing. The floor space kind of sits at the ambient temperature of the reptile room for most of it anyway. Obviously, on the left hand side where the basket spots are, it is warmer around that area. Um, but because I've got sort of like, you know, five foot by three foot almost um, of space, uh, it sits around the, the ambient temperature, which which does vary. So I do kind of have like a hot and, uh, like, you know, hotter and, and cooler months in here just naturally because I'm, at, you know, exposed to the elements in the shed. But, um, but yeah, so it sits at about, I think it sits at about 23, 24 degrees at the moment um, for most of it, apart from the hot, you know, the hottest side. So obviously you're creating like fantastic gradients along the entire enclosure. And obviously you're going to have a gradient, obviously not a, not only horizontal from your basking spot to the other side, but also vertical. So in terms of air temperature, have you measured air temperatures near, near the top of the enclosure? Uh, what was the air temperature? It does get quite warm up there, which is why I fitted um, uh, a fan in there to kind of suck a bit of it out in the real hotter sort of kind of months. Like right now, I don't use the fan. That's all turned off. Um, but yeah, it got, it got quite hot up there. I think it got to about... Sort of like where all the with all the lights running because obviously you know bigger enclosure I've got bigger UV lights bigger LED lights in there um, so I think it was getting up to about I'd say the ambient temperature up there was about twenty seven or twenty eight degrees if I remember correctly I haven't actually measured it for quite a while um, I kind of now just kind of go off of the uh, off the cooler side probe um, and kind of have a bit of a feel for for how the vivarium sits and I know that you know. When the ambient temperature in here is a bit cooler, right now it's a couple of degrees cooler than it is in the summer. I just crank the uh, just crank those basket spot dimmers up just a little bit, just to just to keep that 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 heat back up. So almost as if like as long as they've got a cool area, you know they can retreat to that. So you know they can't overheat, and then it's less of a you're not worrying so much. Zero worry in this one, um, and it is purely based on that size. I know if the animal wants to sit. You know, anywhere up to maybe sort of 30 degrees, um, it can go under them basket spots. I know they're there. Um, and if it doesn't, then there's, you know, they could go five foot in the opposite direction where there's nothing there. So uh, I am a completely stress-free with that enclosure. Um, I worry more about trying to, you know, get basket spots right and and making sure things aren't overheating in the smaller enclosures than I am in the bigger enclosure. Definitely, 100%. So I can see you also, you've also you also given options. You've isolated areas. I can see this front branch has obviously got UV over there. And they've also got separated across um, obviously the basking lamp. In a proportion of like how much they independently select for UV, do you see them basking on the UV quite a lot? Or yeah, definitely. Uh, Just yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, um, the male, definitely Hector, he sits up that high. Um, and he's above any of the basking areas. So I don't know. There isn't much reason for him to be up that high. 
Um, and he is within, I think last time I checked it on the solar meter, it was at about uh, between sort of two and three on the on the sort of Ferguson zone. So that, that, that's the only thing that's hard about an enclosure like that is that there isn't much UVB radiation inside the, the whole enclosure. So I'm not going to hang lamps lower down for UV because they're just going to climb all over them and destroy everything because, you know, they are like that. So uh, I do have to fit the UV to the top. Um, but I definitely have seen the male uh, basking under there um, and being exposed to, to a good amount of UVB as well. well. Obviously, that top shelf is very, very bright. Is that because, like, the Jungle Dawn LEDs up there? Um... It is up there. Um, it's 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 nowhere near as bright in in person. This camera on is a bit rubbish, but um, right, okay. You know, it, it is it is it's a much more natural looking light um, in the you know in real life. But uh, but yeah, the, the jungle dawn um, is up there. Um, jungle dawn in there? There isn't a jungle dawn in there. <laughs> there's um there's a full uh, so I've got um, a five foot long no four foot long full spectrum LED lamp in there which is kind of like my baton that i use for most of these enclosures i don't actually use too many of the jungle dogs i use the jungle dogs in my live planted um kind of more tropical enclosures i suppose like the, the exoterras um but yeah there is a full spectrum led in there plus um a 54 watt um reptile systems uvb uh, t5 fixture in there as well so yeah, um, it, is, it is bright. It definitely is bright, but it's not too bright. Um, I feel like maybe if I use the uh, the biggest, uh, I'd be interesting because I think I do own one um, for my for my stand in Stegeco. But I, 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 I'd be a little bit worried that it'd be insanely bright in there if I had maybe the uh, the, uh, the jungle dawn in there as well, as well as the big UVB and stuff like that. But I've tried it. Obviously, you're saying you that snake is above all the basking spots, but it is brighter up there. There is more research coming out. We have nowhere near as enough research as we should do, but there is the fact that visible light plays more of a role thermally and hormonally than people realise. So I don't know if you've ever seen the works from um, Francis Baines. I think she also did an episode on our... Uh, sister podcast animals at home with dylan perrin and she talks about how like visible light will obviously go through the brain and through the skull not just through like the pineal gland um or the um prior to light but literally just straight through the skull do we know how much that affects the raw python whether hormonally they are eliciting a lot of a lot of don't know what i was going with that there but what are they getting from that visible light, from it activating their brain hormonally, maybe even just thermally, what they're doing with that visible light? Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, and, and not using a, a, a jungle dawn in there wasn't, you know, like a, um, something that I was dead against. It's just, just happened that I, I tend to use all my plant probe lamps uh, as LED batons rather than, rather than that. But that is something that I haven't particularly experimented much with, except I've got a... I've got the reptile systems. Uh, they call it the new door. I think it's the, uh, the the ES screw kind of massive row lamp kind of thing, and I use that above my line day gecko. Uh, and there is there's something about it. Like they do bask in that. Um, yeah, it, it'd be amazing to to know what what is going on there. But you, you know, you put your hand under that, 
it warms up, definitely. And that all comes down to all the power density research that Roman urine and Fran and whatnot are doing when you combine visible light and infrared, you're getting closer to sunlight. That is something that I'm saving for the deep dive for Bearded Dragons that I'm experimenting with. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't see any reason why raw pythons wouldn't benefit from that either. I mean, sunlight is sunlight. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, definitely. It's just uh, maybe one day I'll put one in there, but uh, <laughs> currently, currently I'm uh, I'm using as least amount of electricity as possible currently. <laughs> so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that bad out and put a uh, a, a giant what goggling <laughs> lamp in there. Well, you'd be surprised. the uh, The LED spotlight that I've got is an Amazon spotlight, and it's 14 watts, but it is so intense. Is it? Oh, well, actually, like a like a screw in ES, ES E27, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. uh, interesting because I'm always thinking, you know, in the raw bit to to put a you know like the long the long jungle dawns in there, like I think they're fifty five watts or something like that. They're not remember. intense enough. They're very good for background visible light and like a broad like array of light, but we're talking like intensity in one spot. To, to reach the amount of lux that we may experience in the wild. Like, it's a, it's a different ball game. That's how it actually warms as well. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. I will, and that, that is the way it goes with, with reptile keeping, isn't it? It, it? You just keep changing things and uh, and evolving. And that's uh, why I, I actually moved away from using DP projectors to, to using more halogens and stuff like that as as, as we kind of... Uh, Kind of evolve with that kind of stuff and do more research so uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep on top of it as much as i can but i haven't moved over to the uh to using led as much nowhere near as much as uh as i don't think it will be in the future so let's go into diet of these royal pythons a bit i know we touched upon the, the bird issue and the fact that 70 percent of like their diet in the wild is birds especially for the males that the females less so but are you feeding a lot of birds in the diet? What is your diet? Yeah, so um, my diet is 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 quite varied. I, I try and mix it up um, from both a uh, both a uh, kind of keeping the animals stimulated way and also uh, a money saving way, and, and that is to mix in um, day old chicks in in my diet. I do buy quite a lot of many because of my, my boigers um, tend to be more um, sort of bird based diet, but the uh, the royals um, absolutely, absolutely take down chicks. Uh, I could, I could feed them um, probably every other feed. Uh, they, they would take down chicks. So I, I sort of switch it up between uh, mice, rats, and and the day and the day old chicks. I tend not to go too big with my my rats. Um, everything in here kind of gets smaller rats um, or medium rats. So I don't tend to try and go as big as I can with them. But uh, but yeah, they. Um, they take down day-old chicks. They've always taken down day-old chicks. I've, I've always offered that, so uh, I've never had an issue with it. They, uh, I'd say, actually, they, they go for that more readily. If they were ever going to have a little bit of a hunger strike, day-old chick would be the first thing they'd go for over a, over a rat or a, or, or a mouse. I think and uh, there's also an element to this of us getting too fixed on what they're eating in the world. And in captivity, as long as it's not adverse to health, I feel like you just diverse it, diversify it as much as possible. Yeah, I mean we are very limited to what we can, you know, commercially buy and offer our reptiles. So if we can, if you've got three options, mix mix up the three, and uh, you know, there's more options out there. But essentially, we've got mice, rats, and chicks. 
for the uh, for the average kind of reptile keeper, then uh, why not offer a bit of all of it? It, it really doesn't it doesn't hurt. I can't I can't I can't think of any any way that would do any damage to uh, to a snake. And it brings costs down. Hundred percent. Yeah, feeding out chicks. I do. Yeah, I, I do like a big bucket of chicks. I just feed everyone day old chicks. You know, um, I don't feed weekly or anything like that. Uh, I don't have a set schedule. Um, I just sort of feed when when uh, when I remember. And uh, and yeah, that's um, yeah. Every now and again, we just we just offer out a big old uh, big old bucket of chicks, and and everyone gets one. Well, everyone gets a few. Mister Plan, you'll smash down. You know, maybe five easily without even trying. So when you took your animals that obviously were kept in smaller vivariums and put them into this large enclosure, did you notice a difference in their body composition as they started to climb more and use more of the environment? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I've noticed too much. Um, you know, like like we'd expect them to be, you know, muscly and and that sort of thing. But um, I haven't noticed it too much in the royal pythons. My royal pythons aren't particularly fat or anything like that. Um, I do feed everything out here and keep things on the uh, on the more slender side rather than really sort of overfeed everything. But uh, I wouldn't say I've noticed much um, much difference. I was just I was just amazed from day one how well they just went straight up um, up on the branches and stuff. It's they had that in there already. They had that they had you know they're, they're just a giant tube of muscles anyway, aren't they? So uh, uh, they had that in them, um, and but, so I didn't. Really, I haven't really noticed too much, uh, but um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, how much I have seen your royals, obviously from watching videos, and their 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 condition looks fantastic. How much do they weigh? That's a good question. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't weighed them for a long, long time. Uh, I'm a little bit hands off with that kind of thing with them guys. Um, I kind of go on a bit more of a, a visual kind of thing um you know I, I know what they should look like i don't tend to weigh them too much um so uh oh, i don't actually know that question i don't know how much they weigh i wouldn't even be able to guess because i don't, I don't i've never worked with royal pythons in a way that i could even kind of guess what what weight they are but uh yeah no i've, I've never done that i've never weighed anything apart from um my tortoise obviously when she goes into cremation and the, and the leopard geckos and things like that but uh no, don't don't weigh the snakes that often at all. Yeah, I was asking that question for the benefit of royal python keepers that wanted to know because royal python keepers love to weigh everything. Yeah, no, I, no, I couldn't think of anything worse than dragging them out and weighing them. I, I know that they they look fine. Uh, that you know, the weight, the, the their weight in grams isn't gonna isn't gonna tell me too much about their health that I can't see with my eyes. Are you big on handling, or are you just kind of like hands off completely? Um, I'm mainly hands off completely. Um, there isn't too many snakes in here because, like I said, it's, um, there's a few species of boy, uh, two species of boyega, horsewall cobras, uh, Taiwanese beauty snake. They're, they're, they're not the most handleable animals. So I've always been fairly, uh, hands off with all my animals. All my, I don't have many lizards that we can handle. We've got, you know, uh, Rocky the bearded dragon. He's absolutely fine. But, um, my other lizards are, um, you know, crocodile skink, uh, lion day gecko, standing day gecko. These are these you're not going to handle very often. So I, I'm very much a um, look back, like you know, step back and observe over over getting them out and play with them. And, and that's not something we do. We've got cats and dogs, you know, cats and dogs for that 
Have you considered uh, putting any sort of like gecko in that enclosure with them? No. Uh, someone, I, I have seen people suggest it, but I honestly think, I think, I think my male would get them. I, they are, they're on it in there. They, they, they they're quick. So I am, yeah, I wouldn't be maybe a tiny gecko, but no, it's, it's never crossed my mind. I'm really happy with the millipedes in them, actually. Um, the millipedes give me as much kind of joy seeing them because I've got a millipede that climbs six foot like I've, I've got the tallest millipede enclosure probably in the world <laughs> but um you know so seeing the millipedes climb up the background and sit on the back and climb along the, uh, the branches and things like that uh that gives me as much joy in there the only other thing I was going to add was a couple of male uh pacnola be um, beetles but I haven't got around to doing that either just to kind of you know make it look quite cool and, and stick to that kind of African theme but um but no haven't um ha haven't considered geckos i don't think i ever would if anything i wanted uh i did think it'd be quite cool to eventually have like you know a gecko living in the shed um but that's once it's uh i've built everything and the doors aren't wide open and i'm dragging stuff in and out all the time but uh yeah that's that's for a future a future project fair enough because i've seen a lot of people use some of the I don't know what the genus is called, but it's the same genus as the William side, the um, electric blue dagoes. But the dagoes, it's dagoes, isn't it? Yeah, there is a member of the, the genus that's from the same area as royal pythons. And actually, if you look at the uh, the diet studies, a, a reptile has never been in in any of the diet studies of, of a royal python. No, that they, they are exclusively mammal and bird. That would be interesting, but I wouldn't want to find out. <laughs> I couldn't be anything worse than one in there watching it go, but um, but yeah, I'm sure a small uh, a small lizard would would go in there fairly well, but um, but yeah, that that would be interesting, but um, so it's, it's not something that I've got um, any future plans to do. So if they were to obviously mate and uh, she would be with eggs, what would you do with the offspring? Would you potentially raise them in like a tub scenario, or would you go for like little mini? complex environments uh what we're talking about what the millipedes or the pythons the, the, the pythons the pythons i wouldn't keep the eggs i Did wouldn't no i wouldn't keep the eggs uh i've got i always said this if she ever does uh lay eggs there, there's there's no need for a, a normal royal python in the in the market especially up in norfolk where you know there's, there's not tons and tons of us reptile keepers up here anyway but um, yeah, I'm not interested in selling royal pythons. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Um, no, I would, I would, uh, I would destroy the eggs before they, uh, they had a chance to uh, do anything. And I feel like when this comes out, hopefully you have people that will go to your videos and uh, really enjoy what you're putting out. But oh, to be fair, looking at my analytics, I can see that my audience already watches you. So I think they'd be pleasantly surprised when they see you come on this channel. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I look forward to it definitely. It's been uh, it's been great. It's it's, a, it's an honour to be uh to be invited on and talk, and talk to you guys because obviously I'm just a I feel like I'm just a guy in a shed building some uh, some reptile in, uh, enclosures. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to uh, nice to get recognised for it. Definitely. I think you get a whole lot more as you grow. But thank you very much for coming on, Jamie. It's been fantastic. I feel like people are going to love this. And uh, would you like to give yourself a shout out where people can find you if they don't already know? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's Norwich Reptile Shed. Uh, that's on 
YouTube, Instagram, uh, they're, they're my two main sort of things. Um, got a bit of a Facebook page, but all the updates are generally on Instagram. And then uh, I try and do a video every two weeks on YouTube now. Um, it probably will get more when uh, when summer kicks in and I'm building more stuff. But at the moment, it's every two weeks. And that's Norwich Reptile Shed. Brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on, Jamie. Thank you, guys. Thank you. See you later.